But part three of the law and discernment in the end time. As, as we were finishing up last time, we talked about how Satan himself seeks to commandeer the truths of God for his nefarious purposes. And one in which we talked about was the rainbow itself. Here's this symbol that God will never again flood the earth. Uh, he has taken that with his, with his teachings and his uh, warped sense of, of whatever it is that drives him in his selfishness to even take that incredible sign that God gives, it, gives for us that he'll never flood the earth again and, and, and change that over to where thou, that now represents uh, diversity and, and especially in the gay movement, all that has gone on with that. Uh, just one example of how uh, Satan the devil does that. But one of the things that we, we talked about last time as we talked about one example that's in the law that, that we, can, we can take to give us clarity as we deal with the, the things that we're hearing taught out in the world to this day is the whole understanding of, of false worship and, and false prophets as, as the law clearly brings out how to, how to see that and also how to address that. The law gives us so much. We'll, we'll talk about another example today, a second example, as we, as we wrap this up, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Prior to that, though, I'd like us to turn to Daniel 3. Daniel 3, as we build a bit on the, the subject of how the law guides us. I think it's interesting that here uh, several weeks ago, Mr. Kylo gave his message on uh, faith and the enemies of faith, and he cited the, the acts of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with respect to that. They, they believed God. They recognized who he was. They trusted in him. They knew he could deliver them if he chose to do so, and that he could deliver them, uh, and that he would deliver them out of Nebuchadnezzar's hands, even... Even if it meant their dying, they knew ultimately this God that they worshipped would raise them again at, at some point in the future. So they knew their lives were in, him, in his hands. They trusted in him. Mr. Franks talked this past Sabbath uh, in, at the Winter Family Weekend and cited the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as, as, a, as a miraculous sign of of, of their dedication to God and God's incredible intervention as, as he intervened for them uh, in, in this event, as, as he talked about the two types of situations where, uh, where our faith is involved, where God creates incredible miracles for us, and then also sometimes when God doesn't intervene, and yet that's still a, a strong, strong act of faith to recognize that God is in charge and God has our best interests at heart and, and he will come through for us uh, in the end. I would like to also uh, talk about this, this story, but, but do so with respect to the aspect of law. Law is a huge factor in the decisions that they made. Their understanding and ability to apply God's law in a situation with very little uh, time to think through and process what they're going to do. Daniel 3 verse 14, we know the story. Here they are, they've been brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 3 verse 14, Daniel 3, verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods 
or worship the golden image which I have set up, you shall have no other gods before me, commandment number one. You shall not make graven images, commandment number two. Uh, they understood God's law. They, they understood that it was foundational to their belief system and, and how they should act. He said, now, if you're ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the uh, psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music, you, you fall down and worship the image which I've made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who's the God who will deliver you from my hands? So we know the story. Uh, we have no need to answer you in this matter, uh, O Nebuchadnezzar. We, we, we can answer this very quickly. We have no need to, to prove anything to you. We have no need to, to uh, defer to you in this matter. We know what uh, we must do. Verse 17, if that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. They understood God's law, they lived by God's law, and when the test came, they followed God's law. They, they loved God, they loved, uh, they loved uh, his commandments, his teachings, and they were quick to obey him. They feared God, they revered God, they revered him and revered his ways, so they were able to answer very, very quickly. That understanding of God's law and, and its application in a way of life for them uh, connected with that uh, whole understanding of, of Hebrews 11.1, 1, as we know. But the Hebrews 11.6 factor comes into play. He uh, who comes to God must believe that he is and, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So huge aspect of faith is to, is to diligently seek God. And how do we diligently seek God? Well, I want, I'll seek God any way I want to seek God. It don't matter. I'll do it this way, and it's great. No, there, there is a way that God gives in his word to diligently seek him. And, and we, we understand that through the basis of his laws. So they, they lived by that, and, and that was an, uh, a manifestation of their faith in terms of following uh, God's, God's laws. So as we know the story, he intervened. So let's go down to verse 28 now. So when this happened, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Commandment one, commandment two, a driving force in, in their decision. They knew God's law. They understood God's law. They applied God's law. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to be cut in pieces and, and, and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. And that's, that's true. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The tests come, but again, uh, 
we, we see all these aspects in play as they're dealing with that, and, and with that is a, a deep understanding uh, tied to a knowledge, an understanding, and a love of the law of God. They knew the laws of God. They loved the laws. They served him, and they were careful to obey him above all. The law gave them clarity on what to do in that given situation. So they were able to discern and decide appropriately. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dwelt in a, in a foreign land, we, we dwell in a foreign land, don't we? We're, here we are, we're strangers. We're strangers, we're aliens, citizens of a different kingdom dwelling in a foreign land. We are the Israel of God. We are under the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. How are we doing in our sphere of leadership, in our sphere of influence, in our families? Uh, are we driven by the spiritual understanding, the spiritual application of the laws of God? How are we doing as a church in that respect? To what degree does, does the church place the, the word of God, and, and, and specifically for our discussion today, the laws of God at, at the head or at the front of all that we're doing within our own households where we have authority. Do we live by the commandments? Do we live by the laws? Do we live by the statutes? Do we live by the judgments, the precepts, the word in our homes? Are we allowing Satan to commandeer any of the truths to which we hold? Achan did, didn't he? Achan allowed that. Rachel allowed that. Her, her covetousness of, of her father's uh, teraphim, his idols, took them. Uh, what about Solomon? Let's go to 1 Kings 3. 1 Kings 3. Uh, over the winter family weekend, I wanted to just go back through again 2 Samuel. So I started around 2 Samuel 11 and kind of worked my way through the end of 2 Samuel and into 1 Kings as uh, the transition of leadership and all that entailed uh, that experience from David to Solomon. It's a fascinating story, but this uh, jumped out at me. It's not that we don't know this story, but I, I got to thinking about this passage and, and the impact of that with respect to what we're covering today. I really appreciated Mr. Johnson's uh, in accord that he gave a, a couple of weeks ago. How many of you saw that, Mr. Johnson's in accord? He talked about the, uh, the, the doctrinal integrity that we strive to have as a church and the process uh, through which, you know, with the fundamental beliefs. And, and then secondly, the, the checks and balances, if you could say that, I don't think he phrased it that way, but the process that we have in place to determine doctrine, to uh, if, if there is a, a thought or, or an idea about possibly uh, monitoring or, or coming to a deeper understanding of some of our teachings, how, how that process works and, and the number of individuals that are involved in that uh, to, to come to that uh, decision. If you haven't had a chance to, to watch that, that uh, please do. But, but he, he talked about the church's desire to, to faithfully be true to the word of God, the teachings of God, to follow those, those doctrines and, and teachings that are, that are of God. 
doctrinal integrity is, is a major, a major, major factor in the church of God. With that as a, as a backdrop, let's go to 1 Kings 3. 1 Kings 3, which I told you, and I just didn't go there myself, so I'll try to do that. 1 Kings 3, verse 10. Well, let's start in verse 9. Here's the, it's the story here of, of Solomon uh, in, in, a, in a dream by night is asked by God, uh, what, shall I, what shall I give you, Solomon? So he says in verse 9, Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart, a heart an understanding heart to, to be able to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. Well, okay, We've, there is an, the ability to discern between good and evil with respect to right and wrong. And then also, I think, to some degree, as we see manifested with the situation with the, with the, baby, uh, the baby story where he makes the decision that he did to even maybe discern uh, an aspect of, of the heart sometimes. Some of those, those other aspects are the fuller aspects of, of discernment, but, but specifically between good and evil, to discern between good and evil, what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is godliness, uh, as, as is talked about with, within the law. The law, uh, sin is the transgression of the law, as we know. So, so he asks that. He says, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? A very humble statement and a very humble request. We know the story. The speech pleased the eternal that Solomon had asked this thing. Now, here's what I'd, I'd like you to do. I'd like you to put yourself in, in Solomon's shoes. Imagine God saying this to you. I think of what, what if he were to say this to me, this would freak me out. <laughs> but, but this is what he said to Solomon. Because you have asked this thing, verse 11, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Verse 12, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. Can you imagine being told that? God looks at you, he looks at me, and he says, nobody who has ever lived is going to have the knowledge and the understanding and the discernment that you are going to be given by me, and nobody who's ever going to come after you in this, in this physical life is going to possess this incredible wealth of wisdom and discernment and justice. No, 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 uh, the ability to, 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 uh, to discern justice. Nobody else is going to be given it to the degree that you have. Wow. You know, I, I think, wow, what the, the accountability that comes with that, but just the understanding of what that means to, to have that kind of knowledge and insight and discernment. And, he, and here we look at, we look at the Proverbs, and, and you know how you can take a, a single proverb and look at that and think on that, and then, then you go to the next one, and it's this other incredibly deep truth where we can gain a, a whole message, a whole sermon message out of one verse. This man was unbelievable in, in the ability 
to understand things of life and, and concepts and s deeply spiritual principles. I mean, these, these are not just, okay, this happens and, and this go to the ant, you sluggard, watch the ant, and, which is a, a, a deep insight, but incredible spiritual insights to interacting with people, to how we interact with God, about how to see our own selves, our own, our own motivations, and, and how, to, how to recognize that and recognize that in others and turn from the, the sin. All the things that Solomon was able to do, it, it, it boggles the mind. But at the same time, as we reflect back, as I reflect back on the teaching that uh, that that as, as Mr. Johnson talked about, our, our desire as a church to have that integrity uh, of doctrine, that knowledge and understanding of that is, is critical, but at the same time, it, that doesn't answer at all, does it for us? It, it is a peace. It's a peace. It's a peace that must be there. We must place God's word at the forefront of everything, but it, but it can't be the destination. And I'm not saying that he thought was saying that it was a destination. He wasn't at all. But it, it, is, it is a principle from which we live our lives. We see where, where Solomon comes down to the end statement. We know this passage. Let's go there. Uh, he, through all of the things that, that Solomon experienced as Ecclesiastes uh, talks about. You know, think about this. Here, here Solomon was given all of that. You, you think of, of what he was writing it is as he wrote the breathed words of God in, in Proverbs and all of these insights. And yet at the same time, this individual was able or, or gave himself over because of his, his love of, of wives and bringing in all of these different political marriages and, and such that he did and, and was able to get caught up in idolatry. This is the, the, the human being that God says nobody ever has been as, as will have the knowledge and understanding that you have and nobody ever to come after you will. And God gave that to him and he understood that and yet he was still able to go into all that he went into where even he was involved with Molech, or some, you know, which, which involved uh, you know, child sacrifices. How can that happen? How could that happen? But it did. It did. Solomon is one of those individuals that we wonder, you know, what, what, was, what, what was the state of his mental and spiritual condition and how was he with respect to God in, in his relationship with God at the very end of his life? God is a, a great loving and merciful God and, and that's in God's hands. It seems that as, as Solomon writes the end here, that, that Solomon grasped uh, where things need to be and those and what he grasped uh, was a huge lesson for us we know it well ecclesiastes 12:13 let us hear the conclusion here's the whole the whole deal the conclusion of the whole matter all that i've experienced solomon said the ups the downs the the uh, the the, uh, the insights, the, the, the gaining of knowledge, the studying, uh, the, the, the decisions that I made to do this and try this, and my, I kept my mind with me all this time. All of this that, that uh, Ecclesiastes talks about, he says, the conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God, to revere God, and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. This, uh, this is the whole duty of man. This is man's being to completely fear and revere God and keep his commandments. 
Pretty powerful statement for a person to make that conclusion after all he's experienced. The, the most, the, one of the most gifted or, or the most gifted, intelligent, insightful man to ever walk the face of the earth besides, of course, Jesus Christ, who uh, was God in the flesh. He says, this is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. <laughs> so we need to know what his commandments are, don't we? Fear God and keep his commandments. Notice this, verse 14. God will bring every work into judgment. Every work, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. We've talked about that before in, in terms of the, the secret thing. As we, as his people, individually in our relationship with God, open our hearts to God and talk with him about those secret things, those battles we face, and as we take on those battles and, and turn from evil and uh, openly acknowledge that before God, as scripture says, he covers, he covers that sin. As we seek to hide from him and as we seek to hide our, our faults and our struggles and not openly address them and, and uh, approach them, then he reveals it. Uh, so, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. How does one determine what is good or evil? One determines what is good or evil through God's law. So as, as we re reflect on that, we, we think of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I know in my life, I know in our home, lawfulness must abound as, as God's people, as the Israel of God, lawfulness must abound in our families because if it does not, the mystery of lawlessness creeps in. Has it crept into your home? Are there areas in your life or in, in, within the family, within the marriage, within any, in any aspect of your family where you recognize that there is a bit of that mystery of lawlessness that's coming in, where we as God's people, we know this is not right, but we're allowing this. Is it, is it creeping in? Uh, Satan desires to get a foothold, and he does so through lawlessness. He'll begin to commandeer truths for his twisted mysteries of lawlessness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed in God. They trusted God, they loved God, they knew his commandments, and they demonstrated that they loved God by keeping his commandments. We, as God's people, are, are given his commandments. We're given his truths, and, and it is, as Mr. Johnson talked about, it, it, is, it is such a huge blessing that we have. I don't, I don't think we take that for granted as a church, but to, to strive to maintain the doctrinal integrity, which we do, as was talked about from the president's office, from ministerial services, uh, from what we do in media. Uh, we're not patting ourselves on the back. We're, we're saying God's word is what guides and direct us, directs us, and, and we must yield to that. We must strive to be doctrinally uh, filled with doctrinal integrity in everything we do. But even in the wisdom and the knowledge that Solomon had, application is is where the rubber meets the road let's go to Romans 2 Romans 2 you know we've got uh, all the aspects that we talked about last time uh, not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law until all is fulfilled Christ came to fill up and and 
expand the understanding of the depth of the intent of God's law. This is the love of God that we, we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. Sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is lawlessness. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The two great commandments, love God, love, love man. Let's look here at Romans 2, getting back to what we were discussing. Here he's, at least it's my understanding here, that he's talking with those who are Jews that are in the faith. And in, in doing so, he makes uh, some statements that as we look at it as, as the New Testament, the, the Israel of God, here he was working with ancient Israel, uh, and then he was working with uh, the Israel of God, New Testament Israel, who's a part of Israel as a result of being a part of the body of Christ. Uh, notice what he says here. Verse 17, Romans 2, verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. And you know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. And then he, he turns it. He turns it to, to, in a sense, I think, as I read that, as we turn it inwardly, uh, is, is he talking to me here? You, therefore, who teach an, uh, another, do you not teach yourself? You who, who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And Christ talked about what adulterous thoughts are. I mean, we've gotten so much knowledge, so much truth, so much understanding of the laws of God, but, but do you uh, commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He says, as it is written, circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Well, you know, circumcision was to set them apart as Israel. Uh, so breaking the law and being completely caught up in, in wrongful thoughts and actions is, is counted as, as being uncircumcised spiritually. Verse 27, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if, if he fulfills the law, judge you? who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. That, that, that passage points to me. I have, I have to continue to look at my own life. Uh, I, we have knowledge, we have great understanding, and it is a huge blessing. But is there any way in which I am acting as a, an uncircumcised Philistine versus a person who is spiritually circumcised as part of the Israel of God? Let's look at that second example today then of how God's law gives us clarity in that, in uh, how we go forward. One of the things we touched on last time that I'd like to build on, let's, let's go, if we would, to Exodus 22. 
We talked about several of the things that Satan is, is, is and has over the years attempted to commandeer. And one that we just barely scratched the surface of last time is what we want to talk about today as a second example of how God's law gives us clarity in how to address certain things that we're experiencing and seeing in our day in and day out lives here in the end time. That, uh, that aspect was Satan's attempt to commandeer the, the very essence of God. God is love. Satan is, is attempting and is, is being very successful as the God of this world to commandeer the concept of love. He is reshaping it, refashioning it to say this is what love is. God's people who are rooted and grounded in God's law will un understand that, that it is counterfeit, that it is a, a huge contrast to what true love is as, as scriptures bring out. God is love. With the world, he's, he's commandeering this. He's distorting it, again, for his purposes. Be it in pre-marriage counseling, be it uh, dealing with difficult marriage situations, uh, be it assessing the ever-changing landscape of morality in society, the alternative lifestyles that are being uh, put forth uh, and promoted, propagated here in, in, in today's society. Clarity is found in the law of God. I went through recently reviewing some of the principles of sexual morality as outlined in God's word, as outlined in, in, in the law of God. Let's look at, at that. I, I mentioned Exodus, Exodus uh, 22. Without, uh, without turning there, <clears throat> Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 take the very first humans, Adam and Eve. He creates male and female in his image. As we've talked many times, the very first relationship is a husband and wife relationship, male and female. Through that, they are to leave father and mother and be joined uh, to one another, and they are to become one flesh. They're, they are to leave and cleave, as we say, not cleave and then leave. They leave, and then they, they, they leave, and they become their own family unit. They become one flesh. God says that is beautiful. It is beautiful, the marriage relationship, the husband and wife relationship. They are, they are through that, as, as, as Hebrews says, uh, the, the marriage bed is undefiled. Uh, in, in, it is undefiled. It's beautiful in God's eyes. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge, as, as is said very clearly in Hebrews. God set up the very first unit as the husband and wife relationship. Do we apologize for that? Do we, do we as God's people who say, this is the word of God, this is what I base my life on, do we, do we have to apologize for that? Uh, now in today's society, this is hate speech. It's hate speech to, to say that this is what God established and this is right because God's word says this is right. We've experienced this in our own lives as we've lived our lives. We've, we've seen God's ways work in action in, in the husband and wife relationship and in the family relationship. We see that, that God, through this process of husband and wife being married, being bound together in unity as husband and wife, then we have offspring, and the offspring are, are made in the image of God, and they have the opportunity to be a part of the family of God for all eternity. 
It is what God is doing. He is reproducing himself. He is creating a family, uh, and he's going to give all mankind that opportunity to understand that and come to that. That is a beautiful truth that comes from the word of God, and it is established not only in, from the beginning in, in, in Genesis, but in God's word as we get into Exodus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He, he builds on that. God's people can have clarity and be grounded as we are com completely grasping that in our lives. Our kids have that clarity and groundedness as they go forward, uh, as they have an understanding in that. So, so with that, we begin to see these, these various little statements that he makes in the law. Not, not little statements, but, but many statements that he makes here within aspects of, of the, the Torah. As we mentioned last time, I'll say this, again, it's critical for us to understand that God's law is spiritual. It's always been spiritual, as, as Romans 7 tells us. But in that, the way in which the laws were administered, the way in which this, this physical nation of Israel that was an operating nation that, that had to make decisions and judgments and and uh, penalties and consequences, uh, the way that was administered in fractions, uh, et cetera, is going to be different from the way the Israel of God, the church, does that. We mentioned this last time. Uh, a man and woman caught in adultery, what did it say to do? Kill them uh, uh, because of, 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 of how uh, the, the example of that and the impact of that being pervasive uh, throughout the, the, uh, the Israelite community, if this is allowed. In the church, it's handled differently. We don't kill somebody who commits adultery. Uh, in the New Testament, it, it still doesn't mean that, well, that means uh, adultery is fine now. Uh, it, does, it doesn't mean that at all, as, as we'll, we'll show that here a little bit as we go into the New Covenant application. But the way that it was administered then is different from now. Look at, look at one of the examples of how it was administered uh, differently. We'll go through these fairly quickly. Exodus 22, verse 16. If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed, Okay, uh, so the, the, the virgin has not been betrothed to her husband, and they get involved in fornication. They have sex outside of marriage, sex uh, prior to being married. He says there's a consequence. It, it, there's a sin, and there's a consequence that they have. He shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. Okay, they, they've done this. Uh, virginity is, is a, a huge matter. So he says they should... Uh, Pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses uh, to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. Look at uh, Exodus 34, verse 10. Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verse 10. And he said, uh, Behold... This is Yahweh here talking. Uh, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among you who are, shall see the work uh, of the eternal. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. 
Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out these nations before you. Uh, Verse 12, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the eternal, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and and you eat of his sacrifice." Notice verse 16, and then you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. He's saying here, you know, don't get in these situations where you've got your sons marrying into this and and then they get pulled in this direction and then all of a sudden spiritual harlotry takes over the land. it was, it was not to be done. Uh, so, so we've got that going on, and, and then we look in the New Testament, the New Testament application of that. Uh, we see 1 Corinthians 7 that, that talks about two people who are not in the faith, and they're married, and then they, uh, the husband or the wife comes into the faith. Uh, what, does, what does Paul say in that, that state? They, they should not seek to separate them uh, from them, uh, but, but if the, the unbelieving mate is pleased to dwell with them, then, then they should dwell with them. Uh, but if the unbelieving mate is not pleased to dwell with them, then the person, uh, if, 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 uh, if that's the case and that person departs, then that person is free to remarry. Uh, so, so we see that going on, but then at the end of 1 Corinthians 7, he says, he says something to the effect, well, he says this in, in several parts of 1 Corinthians 7, I, I would that you'd be like me. He said, I'm, I'm not married and I'm able to fully dedicate myself to the Lord. But, it's not, but, it, but he says at the same time, it's not a sin to be married. But at the end of 1 Corinthians 7, he says, but if you marry, you know, say, say you've had an unbelieving mate that's not pleased to dwell with the believing mate. And, and so as a result, there, there is this divorce that happens. He says, if you remarry, do it only in the Lord. A principle of the, of the Exodus uh, passage that we just read, not getting caught up in, in uh, marrying someone outside the faith. We are, if, if we have the opportunity to, to marry, we are, and we are in the faith, we are to equally yoke ourselves within the faith, as 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us. It, it's very clear it, it's, it's a principle that's based on the laws of God, the spiritual laws of God that are in the Old Testament. It, it's there, and, and God says to follow that, and we either choose to yield to him and follow, to it, follow that or say, you know what, I think I know better. I think I know better. Uh, let's look at uh, Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18, more about uh, the... the laws of, of sexual morality that uh, were laws then and, and, and that give us understanding today as, as, as our society around us is trying to navigate all of the sexual mores that are, uh, are coming uh, under a, attack. Leviticus uh, 18, verse 19. Levit- Leviticus 18, the beginning, uh, talks about all kinds of aspects of incest that are to be clearly uh, steered, uh, steered clear of. Uh, Leviticus 18, starting in verse 19. 
He says, uh, also you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. Moreover, you shall not uh, lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her, adultery. Don't let your, your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, uh, lest you, uh, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the eternal. Verse 22 talks about homosexuality. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. If it was an abomination then, it's not now in the new covenant, all of a sudden, no big deal. It's an abomination. It was an abomination then, it's an abomination now. It talks about bestiality and other, other kinds of defilements. Verse 24, he says, don't defile yourselves with any of these things. He says, for by all these, the nations around you are defiled, which I'm casting out before you. The land is defiled. He says, therefore, I, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes, keep my judgment, judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. He says again in verse 27, For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Verse 29, Forever who commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off, uh, put to death as the margin renders from among their people. Verse 30, Therefore you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you and that you do not defile yourselves before them uh, by them. I am the eternal your God. We see in uh, Deuteronomy 23, uh, ritual harlotry forbidden, uh, both male and female harlotry, uh, ritually and in religious practices forbidden. Let's go to uh, Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22. You know, the, the scripture covers so many aspects with this that give us clarity. How about uh, drag queen story hour? Boy, that's an that's a interesting term, isn't it? How many of you are familiar, not that you go and watch, uh, drag, how many are familiar with that term, drag queen story hour? I think most of us are. It's the whole process of, of individuals, men primarily, dressing up in drag and then coming to a library and having a story hour. And it's a great time for little kids to come together and that person then, then reads in, in drag. Uh, there's, there's something in the scripture even, even for that. It doesn't say uh, drag queen uh, story hour to my knowledge here in the New King James. But is it, is it not the, the same principle here uh, that gives us clarity on that this is abominable? It's abominable. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, verse 7. No, 22, sorry. 22, let me get there. 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's uh, garment. For all who do so are an abomination. It's, it's detestable to God. Uh, it's an abomination to the, uh, to the Lord your God. You know, you think, think about uh, what was, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, 
Mrs. Doubtfire. You know, you think of Mrs. Doubtfire back in, what was that, the 80s or the 90s. I remember watching that show. You know, you've got Robin Williams here. His, he and his wife are split up, and he loves his kids, and he wants to be with his kids, but she's so estranged from him, she doesn't want him around. So he thinks, how, how, can, I, how can I work this out? So he gets to his brother, I think it's his brother, uh, that is gay, and he's actually a, uh, a, uh, a makeup artist, so he gets with him and has him make him up to look like a woman uh, who is a, a housekeeper and also, a, a, what do you call that, uh, live in like, what do you call that, uh, nerd, what? Nanny, sorry, man, I was, you know, I was going to say something else that wasn't correct. I'm glad I didn't say that. Okay, a nanny. So here he is, you know, you, and you think, I, I don't know how many of you have seen that movie. It was a funny movie. It was it really funny. And you, you see him in all of these situations. Uh, doing this and, and the awkward situations that, that he gets in and he knows everything about the house because he used to live there, but she just thinks he's incredibly intuitive. Uh, she thinks she's incredibly intuitive. And, and all, all these things that are happening, uh, and, and yet you think of the, the, the commandeering of Satan the devil, the god of this world. Oh, you know, he loves his kids. He's just trying to be with his kids. And, uh, oh, and his gay brother, you know, that's his lifestyle, so, but, but he's in a good situation because he can get him made up just like he needs to be. And in the end, he is so good at what he does, what does he begin doing professionally? He dresses in drag and then teaches, uh, or it reads, reads story hour on some public television kind of a thing in the movie, and it's a great hit, and isn't it all great and fantastic? But that, that's the, the sinister way in which Satan comes in there and, and tries to make everything look okay. And yet scripture is, is very, very clear about that. To where, you know, to think that, to, to think that it would be considered acceptable for a, a person, a, a drag queen, to come in and, and read to little children. But it is the nature of our society today. Leviticus 20, verse 22. Let's look there. Leviticus 20, 20, verse 22. That's not right. No, I'm in Deuteronomy. Yeah, it is right. Leviticus 20, verse 22, as he sums up the, as made the statements that he makes about all uh, forms of uh, inappropriateness sexually. He says in verse 22, you shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I'm casting out before you, for they commit these things and therefore I abhor them. He says, notice in verse verse 25, you shall therefore distinguish between clean animals and unclean, between unclean birds and clean and you shall not make yourselves uh, abominable by beast or by bird or by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground, which I have separated from you as unclean. Again, they were abominations to eat then. They are abominations to eat now. Things that are abominable <laughs> remain abominable. Uh, that's why uh, we, we don't eat things that God designated has, uh, has been unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I the eternal am holy. I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. What a wonderful blessing Israel at their level at that time was given. And that's why God asked this of them. 
we think of the spiritual implications for us now as we read verse 26. So in reflecting uh, on all of that, you know, uh, we see in Leviticus 26, let's, let's glance there before we get into the new covenant application of this. Leviticus 26, the very end, he makes that uh, summary statement, Leviticus 26, verse 46, as he goes through all of these things, he says, kind of in, as a summation statement, these are the statutes and the judgments and laws which the Eternal made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. Go to 1 Corinthians 5. So the law is spiritual. We've talked about that. As Romans 7 tells us, the law convicts us of sin. We're to meditate on God's law. We're to love God's law. Another reason for Christ's coming, many of the reasons for Christ's coming are out there, but one of the reasons was to magnify and to fulfill and fill up the understanding of the law, the law to be written on our hearts, as Jeremiah 31 says. And Paul himself in Romans 7 said, I delight in the law after the inward man. So 1 Corinthians, 1, we begin, 1 Corinthians 5, we begin to see the application of God's laws. Those laws are, are there. Those laws are in effect. How they are applied differs from how they applied to ancient Israel. So here we are now, new covenant. We are the church. We are part of the body of Christ. We are citizens of a different kingdom. And we have these situations that arise from time to time. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, one that we read often as we go into the, the days of unleavened bread, as it builds towards that statement, as, as you're very aware. He talks about it being reported that there's sexual immorality. And sexual uh, immorality, as is not even named among the Gentiles, verse 1, that a man has his father's wife. He says, how are you so arrogant about this, as the margin renders, and you haven't mourned about this, that he who's done this deed might be taken away from among you? So we see a different uh, situation here. No, we don't put them to death, but, it, but it's one thing if a person errs or sins, in, in one of these areas, and the person comes and is very comes to us and is very repentant and, and striving to turn from that and very open about that and working with that versus a, per, versus a person who is actively living in that lifestyle and is going down that path. He's, this person was in that path, and nobody was doing anything about it. So he says here in, in knowing that, he says, I don't even have to be there, I, as verse 3 says. Uh, verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit and the power of Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And so he says, put the person out, put them out, suspend them, get, put them out away from the body of Christ so it doesn't defile the land in ancient Israel, so it doesn't defile the church, the, the, the separated nature, the sanctified nature of, of the church, of the Israel of God. Put that person out and in, in hopes that that person will realize, ah, oh, this is, I cannot be in the body if I live this kind of lifestyle. And as we know, as 2 Corinthians 2 says, it appears that that individual, if that is the same individual, that individual to which he refers in 2 Corinthians turned, turned and started walking in God's ways. And he said, take that person back, bring them back into the fold, make them a part of the body again. They have been cleansed, they have repented, 
and, and they are turning and going the right direction. They've demonstrated fruits of a repentant lifestyle. Bring them back. Bring them back. Bring them back to the fold. Bring them back to part of the body. That's, that's the, the application of that. Uh, that. That incestual relationship was a sin in the Old Testament, and it's an, a, a sin in the New Covenant. Dealt with it differently. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. He makes this statement. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Fornicators, people that live in that, not talking about making a mistake and turning and repenting from fornication. God's people have done that. Mistakes have been made. Uh, but not... But, but living in that lifestyle, living in a lifestyle of fornication, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. You know, we got, we got uh, what's tonight? New Year's. You know, drink responsibly. Get drunk, but just make sure you have someone drive you home and you've drunk responsibly. Here we've got a, a, a pagan holiday and, and party hardy. Just make sure you get a driver to protect you. Uh, that, that's contrary to, to the, the laws and the teachings of God. He says here, uh, so drunkards, uh, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, uh, don't forget verse 10, covetous, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, have any of us been in, ever acted in such a way that we violated one of these statements here? Just, just look at covetous. Have any of us ever coveted anything? Any, any, any thought, any action, any, any, uh, any idea or, or any particular thing in our lives? I would submit that all of us here, to one degree, have, have sinned in one of these ways at, at some point in our lives. He's not talking about we've done, we've done something once, we've made a mistake once, we never, uh, well, there we are, not, not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about a lifestyle, a direction, uh, a, a kind of path that the individual's taking, not coming to recognize that and turning from that. He, he, we, we understand that as, as we see verse 11. He says to Corinth, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were set apart, you were declared righteous, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And as a result, as we are, have been forgiven of sin, we turn and we, we go forward, we change the path and we go in the direction of being the understanding that we're bought with a price and we're glorifying God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's, as verse 20 tells us of that, of that chapter. So in thinking about that, uh, let's uh, summate at least that portion with 1 Corinthians 7, 19. Many more passages in the New Testament which talk about sexual morality and immorality and, and uh, verifying what is what is said in the Old Testament about what's definitely applicable for uh, New Covenant uh, Christians. But I, I love the statement here, a, a memory scripture in, in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19. Ultimately, on, in the physical sense, circumcision is nothing 
it's one of those areas that was in the Old Testament that it was a type of what was to happen in the New Testament. It is, it is just like we talked last time, Levitical to Melchizedek, uh, circumcision to being spiritually circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. I would encourage you, as we're getting close to the end here, I would encourage you to take a look at Psalm 119 here in the coming weeks and just, just really, really soak it all in of, of the various aspects of and read some of the background that goes into Psalm 119 and the way that it's constructed. It's just a beautiful, beautiful psalm. But I'd like to read one that jumped out at me, one, one particular verse. Let's look at verse 17. It was interesting to me how, we don't read this one often, but it was interesting to me how the concepts were reversed. I had never thought about it this way before. But the, the individual, and, and, I, and I think too that here, here we've got an individual that it's not like he becomes this automaton and starts writing and he doesn't know what he's written and all of a sudden, wow, here it is. Uh, you know, when we think about God's word being written, we have individuals who are pouring their hearts out to God, drawing close to God, thinking deeply on his ways, and God's breathed words uh, work through, worked through them to be able to provide the breathed words of God on, on paper for us to read uh, to this day. So here, here we've got, I, just, I would love to meet this individual, whoever wrote Psalm 119, and the depth to which this person thought about God's ways, the way that God's ways, his laws, his statutes, his judgments, his precepts, his, his ordinances, all of these kinds of things, he's taking that in and, and being guided by that. But he makes this statement in verse 17. I, I like the way that it's reversed. You know, we think, okay, God, I'm following you. I'm walking in your ways. I'm striving to do this, so please, please look after me. Please, I, I'm yielding myself to you, so please look after me. He reverses it. He reverses it because he has the true perspective, the perspective that, that all of us should have as, as we look to serve God. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant. So is he talking about, oh, I want, I, I want this, give me all this, uh, food and uh, raiment and all these kinds of things. I, I think he's talking more in the spiritual sense. But, uh, but he says, deal bountifully with your servant for what reason? What reason? That I may live and keep your word. That's my, that's my purpose. Look after me and help me, Father, because I, my goal is to live and keep your word. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Open my eyes that I can see the wondrous things of, of your law. Are, that's something that I'm striving to, to do more of. God, open my eyes to help me see the, the nuances and the beauty, the wondrous things that are contained in your law of love, in the way that you, you demonstrate uh, how we are to love you and, and what's contained there, to see the depth of that. Wondrous things from your law. They are there. And, and God's, word, God's people are finding those. And in that, seeing those wondrous things of his law give us clarity as we go forward. Let's go finally to a passage in one of the epistles, uh, one of John's epistles. 
as, as we go forward, I, I wanted to get into a mandate that I'll, I'll save for another time. It won't be part four, it'll be something else. Uh, but but let's, let's conclude as we, as we wrap this up in thinking about all that we've talked about with, with God's law, with the ability to discern uh, and, and give us clarity as we go forward in these crazy times where the world has lost its mooring. Mooring or moorings? Moorings. I think it's moorings. Anyway, uh, so the world has lost its moorings. I, I think that sounds right. Somebody correct me later on that. But uh, anyway, it, it's, it's, they're just scrambling, and, and yet God's law, the spiritual understanding of God's law, gives clarity. As we think about not only the tremendous blessing of, of being given God's law, of, of being able to have God's law written on our hearts, uh, let us also, as we talked earlier, be thinking about am I and to what degree uh, am I focused on applying that in every aspect of what I think, say, and do. John said that and was, was commending the brethren in Second John. Let's finish with Second John one through six. May they may this be said of us. If if the elect lady is referencing the church, uh, it seems to me that it it may be here. Uh, hopefully, we are the uh, elect lady, as as uh, as the the future bride of Christ. But uh, anyway, I didn't research that in detail. But I, I think that may be referenced here. Uh, as we think about us as, as the church, can this be said of you and me? The elder to the elect lady, verse 1, uh, whom I love in truth, truth is so critical, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. So he says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God. The Father. God is the God of love. He is the God who has given us His law. He is the God of incredibly abundant mercy, exceeding all mercy of, of, of everyone. He, he is the God of grace. He is the God of all of those things, and all of those things connect. He's the God of truth. God, from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love, He says this, and I, I hope. He says this of, of each of us as we strive to walk in his ways. Uh, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we've received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have uh, had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Let's, uh, let's keep walking in it.